glad you're here this morning. This is like our first official summer Sunday. Uh, the students that were here for the, the three semesters at Northwestern kind of cleared. The graduation was last week. Most are gone over the summer around the world doing their thing. We'll come back in the fall, those who didn't graduate. I realize that some of the students are here over the summer. A lot of you were new coming in for the summer. Some are here for a year, two, who knows. I'm glad you're here. Let me just tell you this. Summer is a time for growth, time to grow in the Lord. I remember in between my junior and senior year of college, it was a time of great growth in my own life. And I, let me just encourage you, don't waste your summer. Please don't waste your summer. It's time to grow, big time. And the way we're going to start off is a great text. We've been going through Romans, and if you're here the first time, you came on a great day. because We're in that famous passage, Romans chapter 12. Go ahead and turn there, and let's stand. We are going to read it. Romans 12, 1 through 8 is where we're at today in our study of Romans. I'm going to go ahead and read it to you, and then look out. Here we go. Verse 1, I appealed to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service and our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You may be seated. And I realize that some of you are in town right now, you're just visiting Chicago, you're a tourist, you're here checking out the sites, and I'm just curious, has anybody been to the ledge on the Willis Tower, this one right here, maybe you've seen a picture for who's been there, who's been to the Willis Tower ledge, pretty freaky, huh, I don't know if that scared you, it's like 103 stories up, uh, and you're standing on glass, um, I don't know how your experience was, maybe it was fun. Well, there was a guy about a month ago, I'm sure you've heard of this, there was a guy a month ago that was standing on it, or actually sitting on it, and the glass below him on the ledge started to crack. Have you seen this picture? Uh, anybody hear about this story? It started to crack. This is no joke. This is like in the Tribune in the, in the story. So he's sitting there, and it starts to crack, but here's the deal. He was totally safe. Sitting on cracked glass, 103 stories up, totally fine. No big deal. Because they were saying that what actually cracked was the protective coating. There's actually still three and a half inch thick layers of glass underneath that could hold up to five tons. So though it was cracked on the surface, it could still hold five tons. Now, I don't, I don't know about you. I don't know, I don't know who you are, what you're, what you're into, but I'll tell you this. I ain't stepping on no glass that's cracked. How about you? No, I don't care what they're telling me, all right? I'm not stepping on that. 
right. Now, let, now kind of transition with me spiritually. Here we go. Um, in, in a similar way, I want you to know this. Sometimes your spiritual life or your relationship with God can see like maybe he's cracked or something. But let me assure you that God will hold. Because I know some of you may have doubts. Is he going to hold me? Is he going to take care of me? Is he going to come through for me? Does he really love me? Is he really there for me? Come on. Is, is he really going to hold? Because right now, it looks like he's not. Like if I step out, I'm going to crash down 103 stories. And yet what we have seen over the past 10 months when we started the book of Romans way back in the fall is that God will hold. We've seen his great mercies in the gospel of Jesus Christ, his great love. And so here is the, what I'm going to kind of get at this morning. No matter what it looks like on the surface, in response to what God has done for us, he wants us all in. He wants us to step out and let him hold us. He doesn't want half-hearted measures. He wants us all in in response to the gospel. And if you truly believe the gospel, it makes sense. The response isn't going to say, okay, God, here we go. Take all of me. Are, are, you, are you down with that? Are you for that? Do you want to try to see what this word has to say this morning about being all in for God? That's what we're going to look at. So we're going to just jump through it verse by verse. It's going to be a lot of fun. But look out. Here we go. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul's like, let me make this appeal to you. I've been talking to you now for 11 chapters. Not that they had chapter divisions in his letter, but for 11 chapters. We've been looking at the mercies of God. We talked about the sinfulness of men and women falling short of the glory of God. We talked about the invasion of the grace of Jesus Christ, the invasion that can invade anyone and call them to repentance and faith. If you put your faith in Jesus, his finished work on the cross, burial, and resurrection, you will be justified according to Romans chapter 3. That means declared righteous and accepted by God. You'll be redeemed from your worthless way of life. You'll be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And to top it all off, you are adopted son and daughter of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We have seen unbelievable mercies of God in the gospel for these past 11 chapters, it is time to do something. It is time to respond. It is time to be all in for God. And what does Paul say? He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Your body is just a reference to all of you. And you are to take all of you and present it to God as a sacrifice. Just in the Old Testament, they used to have these animals that they used to sacrifice. Read the Old Testament, a lot of blood and guts and fire and death. Well, you take these animals and you put them on the altar, okay? So here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to take yourself, put yourself, in a sense, on the altar as a sacrifice. But the deal is you're not dead. You are living. You are made alive in Christ, as we were singing earlier. And as you are alive in Christ, you present yourself to God. But it's not as if you just kind of like you're walking along one day and you say, okay, God, today is the day I'm going to present myself to you. And then you just do it once and that's it. 
Because presenting yourself to God is not a one-time act. It is something you do every single day because the reality is, since you are a living sacrifice, you and I have a tendency to crawl off the altar. Anybody like that? Well, God, I presented myself to you yesterday, but I'm way over here now. Yeah, you crawled off the altar. That's what living sacrifices have a tendency to do, where today we're all in for God, but tomorrow we're back at work and we're all in for whatever else we're all in for. So it is something we do every single day. And at EBF, and you, you wonder why, we, why don't we call our small groups small groups? Why do we call them ethos communities? Because we're trying to embody a certain ethos. And one of our ethos statements is abiding worship. Let me give you the image for it. It's for abiding worship. It's a picture of a vine and that's bearing fruit. And it comes from John 15, that as we abide in Jesus, we bear fruit. The same concept is in Romans chapter 12. It's, this is daily abiding, this daily offering our bodies to God as a living sacrifice so that we bear fruit. It is called abiding worship, a continual sacrifice. Now continue to notice in verse 1 that he says, this is our spiritual worship. Now, for those of you who have studied this passage, the word spiritual there has the meaning of reasonable, where it makes sense, it's reasonable that we offer all to God, which basically means because of what Jesus Christ has done for me, what he's done for you, it just makes sense that you're going to give your whole life to him. It, it doesn't make sense that, that you would give half-hearted measures. It, it's, it's illogical that you will only offer God certain portions of your life but not your whole life. It doesn't make sense. It's your reasonable act of worship that if you're going to follow Jesus Christ based upon what he's done, you give your whole self to him. Your whole self. It's illogical to do half-hearted measures. It's illogical to say, okay, God, I give you everything but this relationship. Anybody playing that game right now? I give you everything, but I'm going to hold off here. I give you everything but this secret sin. Anybody doing that? I, I give you everything but this, this, this thing in my life I don't want to give up. I, so I'll give you everything but not this. That doesn't make sense. That's not even reasonable. That's, it's illogical. It's amazing that such a group of intellectual, many Northwestern people here would make such a, a foolish mistake, right? It doesn't make sense. That's illogical. Give him all. That's the response to the gospel. You, he takes it all. He takes your time, your relationships, your entertainment, your job, your school, everything. He gets it all. That makes sense. It's reasonable in response to what God has done in the gospel. And I want to just kind of, just kind of park here for just a moment because I'm too many times I feel like what people want to do with Christianity is they want to audit Christianity. Anybody ever audited a class here? Huh? Anybody? Yeah? I, I've audited a class before. I enjoyed it. I, I learned a lot. I was, it was fun. I, I also like the concept that I can show up if I want to. If I don't want to show up, I don't have to. I like the, the concept that I can do the work if I want to, but I don't have to. It's not going to count against me one way or the other. So I'm like, yeah, I like auditing classes. I wish all my classes I could audit them all. There are some of you in here, you are auditing Christianity. You kind of enjoy being here right now, right? You're like, yeah, so I like the music. Yeah, 
the preaching's kind of boring, but I like the music. You like being here and kind of a little bit of Christianity, but this all-out commitment thing, no, so, so you're auditing Christianity. And I'm just going to say, that doesn't make sense. That's not even reasonable. Don't, don't audit Christianity. What are you talking about? I mean, just think about this. You can't audit the sacrifice when you are the sacrifice. You can't show up and say, okay, who are we sacrificing today? You! I'm out of it. You see, you get that? You can't audit the sacrifice when you are the sacrifice. You are called to be all in serving God. He elaborates. He gets more specific. Look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I don't need to tell you that the world and its ways and whatever you're looking at, whatever you see when you go out into the world, it's going to tell you, this is what the world's going to tell you in so many words. The ledge is cracked, God will not hold. You've got to take over for yourself. God's cracked. He will not hold. It's the message you're hearing over and over again. It's the message we hear from the world around us, that God's ways are worthless. There's so much more to be doing in this life. And if you're not careful, you may say, you know what, God, God, God does seem kind of cracked. He's not going to hold. And you can start to buy into this thinking. And when I talk about the world, don't necessarily think of individuals that are so worldly. Think of more of a system that's controlling this world that's trying to corrupt you. I'm talking about, not talking about the system of the man. I'm talking about the system as in Satan and his powers are trying to corrupt you, to fall in the ways of him and sin. And yet the word says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, which means that there has to be an overhaul in your thinking when you were born, you were born with a messed up mind. It's, the Bible calls it debased. You were thinking in patterns of the world. You were thinking in patterns of sin, thinking in patterns controlled by Satan. And then God intervened in your life, saved you in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and now you have the mind of Christ. Now there must be a conformity to the mind of Christ. And this happens when you start to be renewed in your thinking. It happens when you get in the Word. Sometimes I run across people, they, they say, you know, I'm going through this dark night of the soul. I feel like God is so far away from me. And I'll ask them and say, hey, man, when was the last time you read the Bible? Oh, I haven't read the Bible in about six months because, you know, I don't feel like God's talking to me. Dude, you've you got to read the Bible. Don't be setting the Bible aside. We are renewed in our thinking when we get into the Word. We're renewed in our thinking when we pray. We're renewed in our thinking when we get with brothers and sisters and they say, oh yeah, this is what the Word says. Your thinking is off. That's what I love about our ethos communities because we can tell each other, your thinking is off. I love you, brother. You are not thinking clearly. I love you, sister. Do you get that? I love community, and I love talking to my brothers and sisters because I don't think clearly a lot. My mind needs to be renewed according to the Word of God. And when your mind is starting to be renewed according to the Word of God, you can start to discern God's will better. And my guess is most of you in here are at a phase in your life where you're trying to figure out 
or discover God's will. I'm wondering if anybody this past week has prayed, God, just show me your will and I'll do it. Lord, tell me your will and I'll do it. Anybody? Hello? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. We want to know God's will. Well, this says right here that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the idea here is that as your mind is renewed and you're starting to think more in line with the word of God, then you'll be able to discern that the will of God and experience it as good and acceptable and perfect. Now, I want to explain what I mean. I want to make sure you understand what I mean. This is what it's saying. This is God's will for your life. You want to know what it is? Here. As you start to believe this, as your mind starts to be renewed, you'll say, oh, this is good. This is perfect. This is right. But too many times what we want to do is we want to ask God questions about his will for our life when he has already shown us so many things in here that we're ignoring. Let me tell you what I mean. So a guy comes to see me. He says, Pastor, I want to marry this girl. I'm trying to figure out when I should marry her. I've been asking God's will. God, when should I marry this girl? Pastor, can you help me discern God's will? And, and who, and when, you know, not who, but when I should marry her. And I'm like, hey man, tell me about this girl. And he's like, well, she's not a Christian. She's not walking with the Lord. Maybe she once used to be, but right now she's not following Jesus. And on and on it goes. And so he wants my advice on when he should marry her. You see what I'm saying? Too many times we're asking God questions, and he's saying, well, excuse me, let's talk about something else. I have revealed will here, and you're talking about something else. This, this can happen in, in so many different areas. Like, for example, I, my guess is that there are a lot of people in here who want to be changed the world. They want to be history makers. There are people in here who want to do big things for God. You want to have big visions, and you're crying out to God, God, show me this big vision so I can go out, I can change the world for you. And God's like, Oh, yeah, there are people in your life right now that I want you to love. You're like, no, God, I want to do big stuff for you. He's like, yeah, there's the big stuff right there in your own house. Start loving them. There's the big stuff at your job. Start loving them at school. Do you get what I'm saying? So many times we're talking to God up here about these things that we want, the revealed will to be shown. He's like, dude, I've already talked to you over and over and over again. But when your mind is starting to be renewed by the word, you can go, oh, yeah, that is a good idea. That is good. And what I believe will happen is this. Once you start walking with God's revealed will and his word and you affirm it as good, those other things will fall in place in their time. What job you should take, where you should live, what school you should go to, these big God's will questions. Start obeying what you know. And the, I believe the other stuff will fall into place. So my brothers and sisters, it's very simple. We want to be all in for God. These first two verses are wonderful. We could stop there, but we're not going to, because these first two verses are the thematic verses for the rest of the book, which means the first two verses of Romans chapter 12 will control everything that follows about how we can live out be, being living sacrifices. And here, I just want to be honest with you. I love the first two verses. The rest of the stuff is kind of like a bummer. Let me explain. The first two verses are awesome. And the rest of the chapters in Romans are, are not so awesome at times because you know what? 
it involves other people. And people ruin everything. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome? Like, you know, God, I just... Just you and me. We're going to have this quiet time today. We're going to go. I'm going to go to my favorite coffee shop and open the Word, and we're going to have this great quiet time. I want to take my blankie by the beach, and we're going to get in the Word, or we're going to go out into the woods, and I'm going to have this great spiritual trip. That's good stuff, right? We want to do that. But it's not about just being all in for God. And here's the bummer part. He also calls us to be all in for people, loving people. And you can be in the Word, memorize Scripture and all that stuff with all you want. But then there's got to be this connection to people. Like peop- are people ruining your spiritual life right now? You see what I'm saying? People. This is the hard stuff. This is, this is the direction. I mean, Romans should have just ended after verse 2. It shouldn't have gone on. But it did go on. This is what God wants. He wants us to be all in serving others. So I hope you're ready for this. This is the hard part. Let's go. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. If you're not careful, my brothers and sisters, you're going to think of yourself more highly than than you ought. You will not have a sober assessment of yourself. Let me help you out here. Do you think rightly about who you are, your gifts, and what you can do and what you can't do for the Lord in life? Uh, This one guy tells this story about a study, an international study that happened between children of 10 different countries. Children of 10 different countries were tested in math. And there was two parts of this math test. The first part was the actual math part. And the second part was questions about how they did on the math part. It was their esteem. Like, what is your self-esteem for math? How good are you at math? So they tested them on both. Actual math, self-esteem, how good they think they did. So here's the deal. The Korean students finished number one, the highest on the math portion. And they finished last on how they think they did, on their esteem, way down here. But get this, uh, the American students, <laughs> you know where this is going, right? <laughs> they finished highest on, uh, on the esteem. They thought they were awesome at math. You love our self-esteem culture, you love that? They're great. And yet, yeah, you got it, dead last on the skills. What is going on? You see, what's going on here is that if you're not careful, you can start assessing yourself wrongly. It really can happen in American culture. You can have all types of arrogance and pride at how great you are and how you're going to do great things for the church and for God. And you're not, you're not having an appropriate view of yourself. And I'm not trying to make you go to the opposite extreme where you have no confidence to serve others. But the Bible's saying have a right and appropriate assessment of yourself. And then what it says there in verse 3, it says, according to to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So it seems like that God has doled out different gifts to different people, and he's, and if I'm, I could be interpreting this wrong, but it seems like there's different levels of faith to operate these gifts. So here we go. Check yourself. Some of you have a leadership gift. God has gifted you to be a leader. But the level of faith may allow some of you to function, let's say, as an elder, and some of you not to function as an elder. 
And if you assess yourself wrongly, it can be disaster when you think you have the faith to be an elder, but then you crumble under the pressure. I think the same thing could go as a missionary. Maybe missionaries are gifted in a different way, but you may think, you know, God has gifted me to be a missionary. Perhaps that is your gifting. But maybe you do not have the faith yet to handle the hardships of the mission field. Because a lot of people get pumped up about missions. But eh, my faith is not quite there yet to go to the field because you may crumble out of the hardships. So when you start to serve other people, that's what we want to do, you have to have a sober assessment of your gifts and the measure of faith that God has allowed you to operate your gifts. All right, so, so far so good. Look at verse 4. Here we go with diversity and unity. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. All right, okay, so we're going to talk about diversity and unity. This is really simple. You've learned this in Sunday school if you went to Sunday school. We're going to talk about how body is unified and how your body is diverse. So I'm going to give you a couple of, of thoughts here from a guy named Ken Hughes. He d- demonstrates how both need to come into play within the church, diversity and unity. So let's start out with diversity, and I'm going to introduce you to a youth pastor. Great story. Youth pastors always come up with the best stories. I wish I could do that. So this youth pastor wants to teach his kids about diversity. So what he did is that he, um, he took a football and he painted a huge eye on the football. Basically, the football was an eye with a big pupil in the middle. And so he wrapped it in a blanket and he took it to his youth group and, he, and he's like this. He goes, I want to introduce you to my baby. Do you like my baby? So like the point. And then his kids are like, dude, you're gross. That's just weird. And he said, what if your girlfriend was just an eye and you took her on a date and she's just staring across from you the whole time with one big eye? I mean, you see it? You see, that's why you need diversity. That's just, when people are not functioning in the body of Christ in diversity, things can get weird. Okay, it's just, just weird. But there is this concept of unity. And here's the unity he explained, is that when he uh, broke his leg, I don't know if you've ever broke anything, but when he broke his leg, he said the rest of his body stayed up all night keeping his leg company. You see that? That's the unity. You got it? So you have the diversity going on. We got to have diversity. Your things get weird. And we got to have unity within the body of Christ. Both of those fall into play as we work together. All right, now. Let's get really specific as I'm going to list from the Word of God seven, seven different gifts. Uh, you'll see these gift lists in the New Testament. This is just one of them. There's several of them. You'll see some in Corinthians. You'll see them elsewhere. But I'm going to do something different this morning. I'm not going to focus so much on the gifts themselves. I'm going to focus more on the heart attitude behind using the gifts. Because we can talk a lot about the gifts and what they mean and what they don't mean. But let's talk more this morning about how we can use these gifts. What is your heart attitude in utilizing these gifts? So look once again at verse 6. Here we go. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now prophecy, I'm going to explain the gift, is a spontaneous word from the Lord that is shared with the congregation for their encouragement, guidance, and discernment. 
Many of you come from certain churches where you don't believe the gift of prophecy exists anymore. Some of you come from churches where you use the gift of prophecy often in your service. I don't want to get into that big debate. Even those who believe in the gift of prophecy do not believe it is on the same level as biblical revelation. I'm going to leave it at that because what I want to focus on this morning is the heart attitude behind using the gift. Look again what it says. Verse 6 says, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. If you've ever been in churches that use the gift of prophecy, the one who is prophesying will always have a temptation probably in their heart and in their mind to show off. It's a pretty cool gift, right? You're being prophetic, giving a prophetic word from the Lord. But it's supposed to be a word given in proportion to your faith, those words from the Lord. What can happen to a prophet in the church or the prophetess is they can start to speak outside of the word from the Lord in order to show off. Look how fancy I am. And so you've got to guard your heart in proportion to your faith, what God has given you. And I'm going to make the shift to say all gifts must be used in proportion to your faith, and they're not for showing off. Let me show you a picture. Let me show you a picture of this girl. Here's a girl. This girl went on a medical mission trip to Africa. And while she was there, she took this picture, had it taken of her, many others. And she did this for about two to three times. And then after a while, as she was going on Instagram and seeing all her friends doing similar pictures and Facebook and Twitter, she wrote this article. It's about the Instagramming of Africa. And the concept is, if you want a lot of likes, take pictures like this. You want people to say, wow. You're, you're doing a great work. Take pictures like this. And she started to say, you know what? What her heart was doing, her heart was saying, you know what? It's about me being the Messiah. It's about me being the rescuer. It's about me showing off and get a lot of Instagram likes. It's about me playing the hero. And that's a temptation for many of us in the gifts that we take. And I'm not saying if you've taken pictures like this that your motives are wrong. But what she's saying is that next time you go on a mission trip, leave the camera at home. Don't make it about you coming to save everybody. Make it about you serving with your gifts. And of course, you can check your motives in your heart, but it's not about us showing off. Let's continue with the gifts. Look at verse 7 again. It says, if service and our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts an exhortation. Some of you have the gift of serving. You like to serve others practically and meet their needs. Our deacons and deaconess have this gift. Those of you who teach like to explain the word of God. Those of you who have the gift of exhortation falls into the line more of preaching, getting people to move. Once again, I don't want to focus on the gift, but the heart attitude. If you notice, the heart attitude here is one of perseverance. Because Paul is saying, if you are doing the one who is serving, then keep on serving. If you're teaching, then keep on teaching. If you're the one who exhorts, then keep on exhorting. Do not stop. Keep persevering. Keep going. Keep pushing on. I believe that one of the biggest struggles that you may have, and I know most of you are young, but one of the biggest struggles you may have as you start to grow really old like me, or you grow older in general, is that when you start doing the same thing over and over and over again, you may feel weary. 
I like to call it a repeated use injury. You know when you run a lot and your leg starts hurting in the same spot, you run and it hurts, it's like a repeated use injury. A lot of time that can happen maybe in your work where you've been doing your job faithfully year after year. And even as a pastor, I think to myself, each week I write a term paper and I deliver it each week. And sometimes when I go back to work on Tuesday, I'm like, man, am I going to do the term paper again and preach again? And sometimes you can feel like you have this repeated use injury. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, am I going to change that diaper again? Change your own diaper. <laughs> right? I mean, it's like, I just can't keep doing this. That's what's called faithfulness, right? God has gifted you in certain ways. And you can try other things and dabble in other things, but you'll probably keep coming back to your gifts and what calls you to do. And you just need to keep moving in faithfulness. So if I'm just encouraging you to keep moving in your gifts, stay in your lane, keep running with perseverance. And he finishes up. Let's go ahead and finish up with him. Verse 8. The one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, all of us are supposed to give financially to the church, but those are certain people within the church who have the gift of giving. Some of you, you know who you are. I'm not going to call you out. Um, If you have the gift of giving, you are to do it with, the Bible says, generosity. Now, the hard attitude behind generosity is the idea of being sacrificial, not to hold back, to be generous. And I would say that with all the gifts, we are to be sacrificial in using our gifts. If you serve within the body of Christ, and when you're done serving, you feel exhausted, that's okay. You're sacrificially giving yourself to someone else to serve. The other gift that is mentioned here is one of leading. I know there's a lot of leaders in here, and you have the gift of leadership. But one of the temptations that a leader may face is to be lazy. Because if you're a leader, usually no one is overseeing you. You control your own time, your own schedule, maybe your, even your own business. And so the tendency for leaders at times is to be lazy. Paul says, the one who leads with zeal. Keep it up. Keep focus. Don't be lazy. Whatever gifts you may have, leaders or non-leaders, a good application to all the gifts is don't be lazy in utilizing your gift. And the last one is the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Those of you who have the gift of serving others, loving those who are hard to love, showing compassion to those who are suffering, it's easy to get to a point in your serving where you can start to embrace the martyr mentality. Any, any martyrs out there? You're like, you're serving so much. You're like, I'm just going to lay down my life again, do the same thing again. But what does the Bible say? Well, if you're going to serve, it's not about the martyr mentality. It's about serving acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I mean, really, do you want the end of someone's service that is the martyr mentality? Do you want someone serving you out of a heart because they're a martyr? Like, okay, I'll serve you again. You don't want, you, do you want, I don't want that. You don't want that. There's got to be this joy this cheerfulness in our serving. And that can go with all the gifts that we have. We want to have a joyful, cheerful attitude in utilizing our gifts. So there you have it. Verses 1 through 8. Response to God's mercy. Go ahead. Jump all in. He's going to hold. 
And not only jump all in serving God, but also jump all in serving his people. Now, this is the body of Christ. Uh, most of you go here on a regular basis. This is the body of Christ you chose to participate in for your time at Evanston. I realize some of you were just here for a few months, a few years, some of you more permanently. This is the church you've chosen to land at. Some of you have chosen after a week. Some of you, first day here, you may have chosen this is going to be your church. So I think I have an obligation to give you an opportunity to apply God's word immediately. I don't want to be a lazy leader. I want to give you an opportunity to jump in and serve the body where you go to church. So all I'm going to say is that I'm going to give you some opportunities here, and if you don't want to do anything with it, it is not on me. <laughs> it's on you, all right? The word of God has been pretty clear in a variety of ways for us serving. So let me just kind of explain something here. Let's go back to this heart attitude. Some of you have showed up to church today and you have gifts. In fact, let me just tell you, if you're a believer, everybody's got a gift, all right? I don't know what it is, and you might not know what it is, but everybody has a gift. Everybody has a gift. And sometimes you may come to church and say, okay, I'm here. This is my gift. Where can the church use my gift? This is the only gift I have. Not a good attitude. How about this? Show up at church and say, all right, here I am. Where do you need me? What do you need done? You see, that's that little balance there. Yes, you have specific gifts, but also the church has specific needs. And they might not always match, but in time they might. But the first attitude must be, okay, I'm here. What do you want me to do? I'm ready to serve. Let's go. So that's kind of what we're going to do this morning. We're going to give you a chance to serve this body and practical needs and meet the specific tasks that we have laid out at EBF. All right, so this is what we're going to do, all right? You got a bulletin? Pop it out. Take out this blue thing. I don't know if you know this, but we're a set-up, tear-down church every week. We don't just exist. Just for our... This is not our building. We've got to set it up every week. We need specific people to serve. Perhaps you got the gifts. Maybe you don't. But there are specific roles that we want you to fill. If you can fill them for a few months, that's great. If you don't have this card, the ushers will bring you one. Just raise your hand. But just look at the specific ways we'd love for you to serve. Maybe you're interested in being an ethos community host. We could use some homes. We could use a condo. We could use an apartment. We have a variety of ethos communities meeting in Evanston, Skokie, and we want to have some in Chicago as well. If you've got a place to open up, let us know. We need some ethos community leaders as we head toward the fall. We need mover teams to set things up in the morning and move them in position. We need an AV team. That knows what they're doing with our sound, with our video. It has some skills. Even if you don't know what you're doing, we'll train you. We need a welcome team to welcome people, ushering to do what you see happening right now, children, nursery. In fact, it's, uh, by the way, our, our, when you go, for those of you who have parents, say, say you love uh, Nathan and Carrie. Give them so much appreciation when you see them this morning. It's their last Sunday with us. They've been so awesome. So when you see them, bless them. Uh, but they have been, they organized the, the children's and the nursery teams, so we want to continue on with that. Or maybe you're already serving. Now, if you're already serving, check you're already serving. But only check it if you're serving in two spots. <laughs> I know, it's not fair. Um, <laughs> our church is set up because we need people to serve in two different areas, not just one. It's the way it's organized. I mean, of course, if you're serving in one area and it's a lot, then, then leave it at that. But we can have people serving in two areas. Now, as you're pondering this, please just write clearly. Don't be like, uh, I don't know what my name is or my email. You just you write down stuff down. 
maybe they'll call me or not because they can't read this right clearly. Don't mess around with us. We'll come and get you somehow. Now, here's the deal. This is what some of you might do. You're like, Pastor, I'm ready to risk it all for Jesus. I'm ready to go and die. I don't want to do some mover team. That's not using my gifts. I'm ready to go and die. Well, just write down an extra box. I want to go die. Let me just explain something. Let me explain something. Two, three weeks ago, we had this stage filled with missionaries, right, that were sending out all over the world. They were launched from right here. This is like a launching point right here. And we need the smaller things, the big, we need a lot done here. And we just can't function without having the launching point organized. So whether you're going, whether you're staying, if you're breathing, we need you to serve, maybe utilizing your gifts, more likely filling a need. Fill it out. We're going to take it up here. We're going to put in the offering right away. Let's go ahead and pray as you continue to fill that out. Lord, I just ask that you would use and utilize us to bring you glory, to be all in with what you're doing here in Evanston, what you're doing as we have sent missionaries out around the world, what you're doing in Chicago. And Lord, I pray for those people who are here for this summer. They don't know what's going on this summer, if there's even a point to them being here this summer. Just let them know that you have a plan for their growth this summer, and may they be all in and all on board with that plan. Your love is great for them. You've not abandoned them. And may they not only look at their personal growth, but also get to a point where they want to serve the church. And may no brother and sister who goes here be lazy in serving the church. So may we give you glory as we worship you and give you glory as we serve you and serve others. In Jesus' name, amen.